This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they all have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written of their, in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do, because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. Now we'll turn next to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those uh, do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I protest, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, if you would, please turn to the back of your bulletin. bulletin. We'll read together Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, 
that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout, he put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph, he did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. For the next few weeks, not only do you have to put up with the blind, but the lame also. Can you say amen to this? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Some would rather put the word death there. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Remember, Catholic means universal. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I believe in the universal church the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And God's people said, Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, it is such a gift to us that you invite us every Lord's Day, and not simply us, but the church around the world, your huge, large, growing church with all of its wrinkles, 
all of its blemishes. You invite us right into the holy room where you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And when we come in, you gladly and freely forgive our sins because you paid for them on the cross. And you open to us the Word of God so that we might know you and our great need for you and your magnificent grace that you have showered upon us. And you bring us in your house to the dining room and you seat us at the table. And there you are girded in your glorified body and you serve us the food of God the food for kings and queens, the food for the battle that we still engage in every week. This is your kindness to us. And so we revel in the fact that we gather as your people today. Teach us from your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, there are two more weeks after this Sunday, to what in the church's calendar is Pentecost Sunday. You recall that you measure from Passover, and you measure out seven weeks after, after Passover, and you come to the day of Pentecost, or in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks. We started on Easter Sunday with a message from 1 Corinthians 15, and we have followed along that path, and then I was gone, and now we're back on that path, and we will conclude on Pentecost Sunday. We have two more parts left in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 after today. And although 1 Corinthians 15 is the place to which we turn to find a presentation of the gospel. The chapter is really about resurrection. Of course, that is part of the gospel. The gospel is non-existent without resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of the body. When one believes in the resurrection of the body, that changes his or her entire life. It cannot ever be the same again. That is the point of the chapter. And the chapter is about work. So in the beginning paragraph, where the gospel is given, Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was manifested. And he gives a whole list of people and finally one born in an untimely manner. This grace was shown to one who's not worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church, yet he labored more than any of them. Yet it wasn't I, but it was Christ laboring in me. And you come down to the very last verse. And so he says, so be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, right from the beginning of the chapter, is not in vain. When you believe Christ is coming to raise you from the dead, your life changes forever. It cannot be the same. 
unfortunately, for too many Christians in the church today, their life has changed. And in our times, not for the better. The church is in great need to hear 1 Corinthians 15 once again. So Paul goes on. We looked at it. And he says, you know, if we've preached Christ has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? We looked at that section, a section that is just pure, straight-out logic the way God made us, to be reasonable. We needed to hear that. So, Paul goes through, if if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ wasn't raised. If Christ wasn't raised, then we're found to be false witnesses because we testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead when he didn't raise Christ from the dead. Your faith is worthless. Our preaching is empty. Those who have fallen asleep believing in Jesus, they're going to perish. Eternal destruction. And you're still in your sins. If, in fact, Christ is not raised from the dead, logic. Then the second section, starting in verse 20. But now Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits. And we looked at that. It's just this tremendous paragraph from verse 20 to 28 that is astounding in its scope from the cross to the first fruit, that one sheaf lifted up at Passover as a sign of resurrection. Christ died, but he's going into heaven. He was lifted up. And John picks up that terminology in John chapter 20, where he says to Mary, quit clinging to me, for I have not yet been lifted up, ascended into heaven to my Father. That's what the the second paragraph's about, this first fruits. But of course, the first fruits that's lifted up is only a picture of the whole harvest that's coming and is going to be lifted up. That's you and me. Christ, the first fruits. After those who are in Christ, then comes the end. When everyone will be raised from the dead. And if you look at that, it makes you think twice about your theology, particularly your eschatology. That was the next lesson. And then we looked at one verse last time we spoke, and it was Paul's proof about resurrection based on the baptism because of the dead. And as we saw, he's picking up a picture that makes Leviticus come alive. That is, all these crazy washings for this and that. And the washings are A picture of what happens in baptism. They prefigure New Testament baptism. They prefigure the fact that one is over here dead, goes through water, comes out over here alive. One is over here dead because of uncleanness and cannot go up to the tabernacle where God is. That's where life is. But once you're washed, you go up to the tabernacle. 
One is on the outside of the borders of the camp in Israel because you have leprosy. You're dead. Life is dead to you. You're a dead man. Oh, it's true. Your family can come and live with you and all that stuff, but you're outside the camp and you just cannot go up and see God. You can't make a sacrifice. You can't go with the throng of people. You're dead. It's like Adam. In the day you eat, you will die. Well, he didn't die physically. But on that day, he was thrown out of the garden. Life with God was over, lost. He has to find a way back. And so, if there's no resurrection of the dead, what was all this water stuff in Leviticus? A proof there's resurrection. Today, we come to the next section. And if you're not open to 1 Corinthians 15, open to 1 Corinthians 15, and we will be looking at verses 30 through 34. And this section, well, let's just read part of it and then talk about it. Notice, uh, <coughs> notice let me read 29. I want you to see the connection here. So in 29, Paul says, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead or because of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Then notice he says, why then are they baptized for them? Why then? Then notice verse 30. Why? So we're picking up the same idea. Now we're going to ask a question. If there's no resurrection of the dead. Why would I do what I'm doing, Paul says? Do you think I'm a nutcake? That's my translation. Why are we also in danger every hour? I protest. Now, the word's just a two-letter Greek word, and it's used in oaths. It's used in self-maledictory oaths, where you take an oath, and if it doesn't come through. You, you're dead. You're put to death. It's what people think God was doing when he passed between the parts of animal sacrifices and Abraham was in a trance, in a vision, and this oven passed through. They think God was taking a self-maledictory oath. If this covenant is not fulfilled, may God die. Well, maybe that's what it's about. I don't think that's what it's about, but maybe that's what it's about. But here it is. It's not I protest. It's more like I swear an oath. I swear an oath. So Paul says, why are we also in danger every hour I swear an oath, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now, we know about Paul. We know about 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where we have the super apostles who are, who are boasting. Oh, well, we take pay because we're worth Hey, we have the right appearance. Who's this Paul? He doesn't look very good. Why doesn't he take any money for what he does? And then Paul says, well, I've got a boast too. Consider me a little insane for a moment because I'm going to boast, but not about my strengths, but about my weaknesses. And then he goes on to list them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 
beaten times without number, stoned once, beaten with a rod three times, five times he got 39 lashes, one shy with allowed in the law by his fellow kinsmen. He was hungry, he was cold, and he has, he has kind of a, kind of a, 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 well, maybe Churchill got it from him. He's got a way of speaking. In danger in rivers. In danger in cities. In dangers on the seas. In dangers with my fellow countrymen. In danger with the Gentiles. We will fight them on the seas and on the oceans. We will fight them in the fields and in the streets. Remember that? Famous section. I quoted it out of order. I do know that. But fight, fight, fight. And we will never surrender. Paul's saying, wait a minute. If there's no resurrection of the dead, why would I endanger myself and die daily Churchill said, we won't surrender. Paul's saying the same thing in a certain fashion. I will die daily. I won't give up. And of course, he's picking right up on the terminology that comes out of John chapter 12, where Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it can't bring forth fruit. Paul says, I die daily. What's happening? More labors than any other apostle. Only it's by the grace of God working in me. In other words, he's not boasting himself about that. But through Paul's daily death, enormous quantities of fruit were found on his tree. And Jesus says just that to you and me. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, Luke says, daily, and deny himself. He who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life will save it. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Every morning, the Christian who gets up and believes, I believe in the resurrection of the body, should say, next, Lord, Help me die today. 1 John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, maybe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not be destroyed, perish, but have everlasting life. Life of the new age. 1 John 3, 16, just as quotable by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we are obligated, obligated to lay down our lives for one another. You get up in the morning, I believe in the resurrection of the body. You know, if I die physically today, I will be raised, no problem. If I die in reputation today, no problem for the sake of someone else. If I die in loss of money today for the sake of the gospel, I die. Lord, help me to die today. Paul is saying, who do you think I am? 
I have this life because I'm appointed to it. I have this life to die so that you might live. We have death that you might have life. When people believe in the resurrection of the dead, whether metaphorically or actually, we must say and live, I die daily. I take up my cross, I hang myself on it, and Christ is in charge. That's what we're not hearing about in the church as much today. Instead, what we are hearing about along with our culture is not how you die to self, but how you retrieve your rights So in contra-distinction to the scriptures, we go along in life thinking, okay, you know, I want to get all I can in life. I need over here health. I need over here good looks. I've lost out on both of those. I need money. I got some of that. I need power. I've been oppressed. Now I need to be on top so I can be the oppressor. The new philosophy. Get them all on top so they can oppress. Not, wow, Jesus died for me. This is how I understand what love is. So I must climb to the top. No, I must go to the bottom. I die daily. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe that? You know, God is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, and he made us the way he wanted to make us. And he made a female body to be female for certain activity. And he made a male body to be a male body for certain activity. And it flows all the way through Scripture. But that's not what we want today. We want something different. I want to be somebody. Not I want to die. No. A man who takes his wife and has children needs to get up in the morning and say, I die for the sake of my wife and I die for the sake of my children and most of all, I die today for the sake of Christ. I will give all my effort, not to please me, but to love my wife. I will give all my effort, not so that I can have a good time, but so that my children might know the Lord and the ways of the Lord. I will give all my effort so that my children will grow up and be Christians. By the way, I believe in election. So do you, I hope. But I also believe that election is not something you know about unless God tells you. So, it is not a crapshoot as to whether your kids will become Christians or not and live for Christ. 
God gives you gifts that are blessings, little olive trees around your table. And if you die to yourself to rear your children, they will believe, they will be elect. How that works out, I'm not quite sure. Paul is saying, hey, I, I came to Christ after being a persecutor of the church, and I've been given new life, and you know what? I know there's a resurrection of the dead. So what I do is I die daily. This is proof of resurrection. Would I do that otherwise? Well, of course, people do die for what he's going to call human motivations or fleshly motivations. So people go to war and they die in war. I don't know exactly what motivates each person to choose to sign up and possibly give up their life. I don't know what motivates a person to throw himself on, on a, a bomb, a hand grenade, so his mates won't die. I don't know the motivations there. I suppose they're different for each person. And I suppose most of them are fleshly. I want to be a hero or something along those lines. Some of them are, are altruistic. I'm not denying that. But I know for one thing, you take somebody like what the Quran teaches, and you go to jihad, and you die, you have a motivation. Seventy virgins in heaven. Now, is that a godly motivation? No, of course not. So, look at the text. Verse 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? Not every day, every hour. I swear by an oath, brothers, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now, what's his boast? His boast comes from above in this chapter. I labored more than them all, but not I, the grace of God in me. And so over here, he has a church called Corinth, and he has a boast, not in what he's done, but in what Christ has done. And when Paul rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, he hands to Christ just like the man who had two talents. Here, your two talents have gained two more. Here, your five talents have gained five more. Here, your grace through me, Jesus, gained the Corinthians. Your grace through me gained the Galatians. That's his boast. Not in himself. Because... He knows, just like you and I know, we cannot cause anyone's heart to change or believe. Only God does that work. So we are just planters, sowers, and waterers, but the increase comes from God. And God chose Paul to give this great increase through. Notice verse 32. If from human motivation I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If you say, okay, you know, I want to get a million dollars. Well, why do you want to get a million dollars? Oh, well, I'll tell you why I want to get a million dollars. So that I can live securely. Like 
the rich man whose crops grew more and more. And he said, well, what am I going to do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll build for myself bigger barns and I'll fill them and I'll say to myself, self, in the Bible it says soul, that means self, eat and drink, eat and drink, have your life, you're well supplied. But God said to him that same day, this day your soul is required. If I were doing what I'm doing for fleshly human motives, what would it profit me? There are going to be a lot of Muslims who upon their death discover quickly they're not 70 virgins waiting for them on the other side. There's a fire, a fire waiting for them. Paul says, you see, the resurrection of the dead is proved by we apostles. Number one, we witnessed Christ's resurrection. And number two, we're banking on Christ and our resurrection. So what we will do is we will go places other people won't go because their human motive is to be safe. Their human motive is to keep their life. Their human motive is to have a good life. Their human motive is to build bigger and better barns and save themselves. So take your ease, eat and drink. Enjoy your life. Now realize, in a certain context, that's okay. In a certain context, that's okay because that's what Ecclesiastes is about. And he's looking through the mist and saying, you know, it's hard to understand things. But one thing we do know, when God gives one of his people food and drink and clothing and the gift to enjoy it, that's what you should do, enjoy it. But Paul, on the other hand, says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, as he speaks to the rich, God gives us all things richly to enjoy. But when it comes to others, make sure you're generous and you share. In other words, die to self. Don't save it all up for self. Die to self. Hand it over to somebody else. You got the gospel for free. It gives you new life. It gives you resurrection of the body. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And so, what? You want to give that away. It's free for others, too. Only if you die to self. You pay the cost. You go talk to them. You pay the cost. You give money for missions. You pay the cost, but to others, it's free. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we are obligated to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters and the lost. This is what we do. Notice then, again, back up in verse 32, if from human motives. This is an expression that looks back to chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, in terms of their uh, saying, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul. No, I'm of Apollos. No, I'm of Jesus. In other words, where they're competing. Oh, well, we got the best teacher. Paul's the best teacher. You know, Paul says, when you're doing this, are you not acting like mere men? In other words, 
you look like an unbeliever because when you believe in the resurrection of the body, everything changes in life. So Paul says, you know, here again, verse 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, by the way, we don't know what that's referring to. He was put in prison at Ephesus, but we don't know exactly what he's referring to. But, of course, wild beasts brings up what notion in your head if you're a Bible person and you work your way through. You know that there are wild beasts. You see them in the book of Daniel. You see them in the book of Revelation. They're beasts. So those who are opposed to God's people are wild beasts, and it was Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And Paul is having opposition from the Jewish unbelievers. And Paul is having opposition from Gentiles. Not so much at first, but later on, he's having opposition. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if you just die, and that's that, well, just enjoy life. Put off death as long as you can. Have your fill of food. Have your fill of drink. Have your fill of women. Have your fill of men. Have your fill of money. Have your fill of nice houses. Have your fill of vacations. Have your fill because when you're dead, you're dead. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. That is the Epicurean philosophy. Now, it's been, uh, it's been uh, exploited a little much. Epicurus did not believe that one should just do whatever they want. He thought they should live a moderated life, but it should be a moderated life having all good things. He believed in gods, in gods. The gods made the world, and they're up there somewhere, and you can't really know anything about them. And isn't that what you hear from unbelievers today? Well, I'm not necessarily an atheist. There may be a god, but I don't, I don't know anything about God. He doesn't communicate to me. I can't see him. I can't smell him. I can't taste him. I can't touch him. Science can't find him. So, yeah. Uh, there, there may be a God, but I don't know that God. And so, this is what Paul is saying. If there's no resurrection of the dead, I believe in the judgment of the living and of the dead. At resurrection, not only will believers be raised, but unbelievers will be raised. Those who have done the good unto life eternal. Those who have done the bad unto a life of judgment. Everybody's going to be raised. But if you think when you die, as is happening in our culture, you just kind of float around as a spirit somewhere out there and nobody knows what that's like. Or you believe, oh, you know, I came from the dust and I'm going back to dust when I'm dead. I, I don't exist. Well, then what would you do if you believe that way? Because how you believe determines what you do. And so you see what's happening in our country, how they believe. They want it all now because there is nothing else. You see, Paul says it. If there's no resurrection of the dead, eat and drink. Eat and drink. 
Verse 32. Once again. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If there's no resurrection of... What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, some people might say that, well, that's, that's, that's really not quite accurate. I mean, I don't believe in God, but I believe in treating people kindly and all these sorts of things. But come on, at the root of our heart, it is extremely deceitful and wicked. If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and if you're a materialist at the end, you just don't exist, well then, you are going to do what you want to do. And if you think being kind to people will give you the best life, that's what you will do. If you think exploiting people will give you the best kind of life, that's exactly what you will do. But when someone comes to Christ and their sins are forgiven, and they're looking forward to a kingdom where righteousness and justice reign, and they believe they will be raised from the dead. Their whole life is changed so that they die daily. Verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. This is a quotation from a man named Menander. Menander was an Athenian philosopher and a, a, uh, an artist. He wrote plays. Uh, most of his works we don't have. We know they had existed. He wrote one called Theus. And in Theus, this is where that quote comes from. Bad company corrupts good morals. Well, I think all of us know if we let our kids hang around pot smokers, they might become a pot smoker. If we let our kids hand, uh, hang around evil company, they will be, they will be driven towards evil. And that's just a, a thing you can look at out there in the world. The company you keep is the company you become like. So that may be what Paul is saying. But the word company is a word that has a dual meaning. It could also mean words or speeches. Bad speeches ruin good morals, or the word is customs. Bad, well, that's what's happened with the Corinthians. They are listening to people who are saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. It may be that the super apostles are preaching. You live now, you get all you can because there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul had to cast men out of the church because they preached the resurrection was already past. And Paul is saying to us, okay, when you die daily, then you're giving your life away for the sake of others. And that could be in terms of missions where you go to places that are far away, where you go to lands that are unfriendly, where you go and die like many missionaries have died? It could mean that. It could mean that you stay at home and you give your life away for the sake of the church. And you have a family because God created us to have families. Not everyone, of course, but almost everyone. 
And so you die daily. You give yourself away to your family so that you give all the extra effort, the time. You think things through so that your kids will grow up knowing the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You don't just hand that over to the church on Sunday so the church can do it. You do it. Of course, it takes time away from, you know, whatever it is you enjoy doing. But when you believe in the resurrection of the dead and you believe in life that just goes on and on and everlasting life, then you know that 70 years here, sorry you over 70, is nothing compared to eternity. And what we're mixed up with here is pain and toil and strife. But when we're raised from the dead, it will be perfection. And we will be with our Savior, Redeemer, and King forever. Now, we don't know a lot about that. But it doesn't take much imagination to realize, you know, if I die an early death, I haven't really missed out on anything because I have ahead of me. After my body goes into the ground and it rots, it will come forth from the dead on that great waking up day and I will live forever in a body that's better than the one I have now because it won't be animated by the soul. It will be animated. Its life will be totally driven by the spirit. I won't sin anymore. I won't have bad thoughts anymore. I won't want to do the wrong thing anymore. I won't be so self-centered anymore. I won't love myself anymore. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad words change people. Words change people. Watch over your wife, your children, and your own heart. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. The word here is a word that's used for the deteriorating of a body to show you how awful it is. It corrupts good morals. Paul used this expression back in chapter 6 when Christians were taking their lawsuits against one another to the courts. And he says, you know, this is not good. Verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Well, we got a whole land out here that has whole knowledge of God, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people in the Corinthian church. Some of you have no knowledge of God. For one, if you buy, there's no resurrection of the dead. You don't know God. But if you just work your way through Corinthians, you discover, oh my goodness, they have problem after problem after problem. They don't know God. First problem is they have parties in their church. They divide up into groups. 
Second problem, they hold to immorality. Third problem, some of them hold to temple prostitution. Fourth problem, some of them hold to divorce. Fifth problem, some of them like to go into an idol's temple where the idol sit right in front of you and sit down at the table and eat his food. Fifth problem is they want to be noticed in worship for their gifts. Sixth problem is at the table they get drunk. All those things tell us they don't know God. Now, when someone comes to Christ in faith, they do know God. They don't know God as they ought to know God. Time, it takes time. It takes knowing his word. How do you know somebody? You know them by what they do and what they say. That's how you know them. That's how you know God, by what he does. And he gives you a whole book showing how he lives and how he acts and how he deals with people. And he gives you a whole book where he tells you about himself so that you can know. And then you read certain things, and somehow in the church today we just say, well, that just really doesn't belong to the church today. Churches, I mean, people aren't supposed to grow up thinking, you know, I ought to get married and have a lot of children. You know, I ought to get married and the husband is the head of the house. You know, I as a woman ought to get married and think, you know, I need to have kids and train them. Somehow, all that's optional today. Why? Because we don't believe in the resurrection of the body. Or if we do, we've stuffed it way in the back crevices of our mind because we want what we want now so we can be somebody. But do you know what Paul says? Paul says, your life is hidden in God with Christ. You're hidden now. In this life, you're a nobody. That's what Christians are supposed to be. Nobodies. But when Christ is revealed... You will be revealed with him in glory. Now, when he says in glory there, he doesn't mean in heaven, even though heaven is glorious. He doesn't mean that you're going to have some, you know, reflection of light coming off of you where you look so glorious. He doesn't mean any of that. He means what glory often means in the Bible. You're a nobody now. But when the kingdom comes, as he tells us in 1 Corinthians, you're going to judge angels. When the kingdom comes, you're going to rule the world. When the kingdom comes, finally consummated, Psalm 8 will be fulfilled. You will have glory and honor. Can you wait? Yeah, you can wait. And do what? You can wait and die. Why? Because you believe in the resurrection of the dead. Let's stand. Father God, we're thankful that you take us the way we are and then you build into us and you shape us. And we're stubborn and we're sinful you forgive us, and you continue the work. And all of us in this room are at different places in the work. 
Some of us grow faster. Some of us grow slower. Some of us got started later. Some of us got started earlier. All of that's true, and you do it just the way you want to do it. And you've bought us with the price of your son's own blood, and you've given us life eternal, life of this new age that started at the cross and will one day be consummated with the turn of Christ, return of Christ from the right hand of the Father. And we will rise from the dead. And like Paul, who to the Jews was a nothing, and to the Gentiles was a nothing. And he called himself just a clay pot to himself. He was a nothing. Help us to accept we're nothings. And then to have our life hidden in God through Christ, waiting for the great resurrection day. Help us to get up every morning, look in the mirror and say, okay, Jesus, today I die to self. Use me for the sake of others. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. We thank you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, for the resurrection of the dead. It gives real purpose and real meaning and real joy and real hope to our lives. We bless your name. Amen.